Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here today at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And I can't wait to have today's discussion and conversation. It's with my friend Casey Kilpatrick there. Casey, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Jeffrey. Of course, of course. <laughs> I, I feel like, um, I, don't, I don't know, this, your story is amazing. So mm. let me hop in. Um, thanks. Casey, you're a, you're a true hero in mm. this community, and I find your story so inspiring and so moving. Your nonprofit, Go For Kids, Inc., the one that you started, recently celebrated its 10-year anniversary. Let's explain the work that you do and the genesis of how it got started. You once said, hang in there with me, it's a long quote, you once said the following. The reality is I always wanted to be a mama. One of my greatest fears was I wasn't going to be able to have my own biological children and that fear came true. With that said, the dream of having children then expanded, it expanded to foster care. Tell me about Holly, Stella, and Jaden, and how you first conceived of Go For Kids and Project Go Bags. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. I really appreciate that. I, I forget some of the things that I say, and I was a little holding my breath for a second, like, what did I say? Yes, that is absolutely true. I have always wanted to be a mama my whole entire life, and unfortunately, that wasn't a reality for me, and I've worked... Um, you know, at Providence House, and I've worked with children in crisis in different capacities, and even that with Salvation Army. But nothing prepared me for what it was like to have children that were rescued with just the clothes off their back into protective custody of foster care after criminal abuse and criminal neglect. That was, you know, it. I, I'm still not okay. And that happened over 10 years ago. It was um, May the 19th, 2013 is whenever that happened. Um, I knew that there were kids that needed help. I knew there were kids that needed someone like me to step in and be a mama. I just wasn't prepared. Um, even though, you know, I had had all the classes, it takes you about six months to go through the foster to adoption classes. They dig into all your business. They do all these tests on you and quotes and information from other people. Same way too with having my master's degree, I've studied these things, but the reality of kids and the reality of kids in crisis and what that was like um, was just really overwhelming. Um, you know, so my son was a 12 months old. I'm sorry, he was 11 pounds at 18 months old. So he was in three month old clothes, like a newborn baby. Babies will be born even up to, you know, 12 pounds, 11 pounds. He was 11 pounds at a year and a half from the criminal abuse and neglect. And my daughter was 17 pounds at almost three. So she was basically like a 18 month old size. So all from Webster Parish, all right here in the Arklatex. And they were rescued. Actually, I found out this year in a traffic stop. I didn't know that before. Um, but in a traffic stop where their biological people were selling drugs out of their car with them in it as infants. And you can't tell me that those children did anything to deserve that type of lifestyle. They already have seen the worst that life had to offer for them um, through those bad choices and those mistakes and those things that the adults were making in their life. 
And so that's where, when they were rescued, they were rescued with the clothes off their back into protective custody of foster care and arrived at my home 45 minutes later after I got the call from Department of Children and Family Services. And when upon their arrival, there was a meth pipe and a Winn-Dixie bag with them. That's how close it all was to them, where they... So DCFS and um, that with law enforcement gather up everything they need. They try to, and they try to secure the perimeter, get them out of that crisis situation, get them where they need to go. And in that, that's how close they were to all those things. And so these stories that people hear, like on all the news channels, these are the children they're talking about. These are the children that at no fault of their own need to be rescued into protective custody of foster care. So it came from that place, knowing that our community wants to help and will help, but they need to know when, where, how, and what's needed from them. And they need it to be organized and it needs to be systematic and we need to be able to get it to the people in their arena doing the work, which is the DCFS workers and law enforcement because they don't need us as do-gooders to come and make it a situation worse. They need to get the children calm and safe and secured and get them what they need and get them out of there and let the adults handle the other adults with court and restrictions and you know other issues that they have going on. Because when people are altered, we don't need to add anything else to that situation. And so... Um just to be clear, so DCFS, yeah. uh, well, so the biological parents were arrested yes. um, at that time. And so then, um, I guess, law enforcement contacts DCFS. We have two children that need placement. Right. And then are you, how does it work? Are you in, are you, you're a contact in DCFS's system at that point? So and once you're a registered foster to adopt parent, that they know that they can call you when they get these kind of calls. Every call is different. It could be there's someone in their family, which is called kinship care. It can be um, that they need to go back to the state office building and find someone. But usually they have a, kind of a short list of people that are willing to step in the gap that have already been trained and certified and looked into and passed all their credentials to be able to have them accept children in their home. And that takes about six months to a year to get that done because they're not going to take a child in crisis and try to put them into a, this unknown situation. And so that's what happened in our case. But each case can be different. It could be children from school. It could be from a hospital. It could be a variety of different circumstances. Um, I will say, too, that my children's biological relatives turned in their biological parents, which is one thing that I want to acknowledge because it's really easy to do an us and them. But the reality is addiction is horrible. And I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you for thinking more of these children and what kind of life they could have versus just supporting biology. Because obviously if they could do better, they would do better. And that's one thing that's probably my biggest sore point is with DCFS or with law enforcement or the court system or society in general is that if people could do better, they would do better. And if they're not doing better with all this help, then cut ties. Let the kids get adopted. Let them find their own family and own supports and own life. Stop trying to reunify people that aren't able to to take care of themselves or other people. And give me just kind of a yeah. short 
overview of where the two kids are today and just what ages, just how they're doing, and just, I guess we're fast-forwarding how many yes. years now we're, so, um, we're fast-forwarding. So after 1,264 days of my children being in foster care with me, I finally was able to adopt them. That's why I say that, because it was traumatizing to them to have to try to reunify with people that aren't capable for whatever reason, mental health, addiction, whatever the situation, they were not capable. So that's hard, and that's where that, that I'm making that comment from, that it took almost three and a half years in that system, and I had to get an attorney and help fight that system um, to be able to do what's the best for the children. But luckily, that that worked, and that we were able to finally get them adopted and get them settled, because when kids go through trauma, they heal through relationships and positive relationships, just like with any of us. You know, you have a bad relationship, you can heal through the next relationship if it's positive, and you try to work on yourself, and you work on things, and that's how you get to a different place, and that's what kids need, is to be loved and nurtured in a home, and so I'm proud to say that it's been over 10 years since I, you know, so they came to me May the 19th of 2013, so we celebrated 10 years that they've been with me, and um, almost seven years that I've had them adopted, it was November the 4th. 2016 is whenever I got them finally officially adopted and that was one of the happiest days of my life knowing that I could I would not lose my babies because you know you raise children and you love them and you nurture them and you do all the things for them but then they're they're not legally yours they're wards of the state until that happens so liability wise they're they are wars of the state. They're in state custody until they're fully functioning a part of your family so that's a tough spot to be in so that was a very happy day when I got to have them adopted. But yes, it's been 10 years. And so Hallie Stella is 13 and Jane and Roland is 11. He's about to be 12 in December. And they're still little, um, but they're sassy, preteen, teenager, just the normal um, mile markers that all kids face at that age. You know, she's in eighth grade and he's in sixth grade and a little bit of sass mouth, but <laughs> I'd much rather that than, than the alternatives for all the things. But, um, yeah, they love um, playing sports with their friends and being active in the community. They both have big, soft hearts. They both can tell me off in a heartbeat, <laughs> you know, and break it down of, of all things. Um, Jalen wants to adopt every pet he sees. And I'm like, no, we got to take care of what we have <laughs> before we try to add in more. And Hallie Stella is very much an advocate. Um, she's actually worked with me down at the House and the Senate and reported about foster care and advocated for children, about children belong in families. And she, you know, fortunate or unfortunate, has the moxie to tell off anyone, <laughs> including me. So as long as she tells the truth, we're good. But yeah, and luckily she's done that, where she just tells the truth as she sees it. Love it. Well, it's so. amazing. Um, in 2020, Gopher Kids Inc., uh, headquartered in Caddo Parish, officially went statewide. Yes. Distributing yes. go bags to all 64 parishes. Yeah. That's the only other quote I have from you. But you once said the following in describing the thought behind go bags. They, the children, have already been through the worst that life has to offer, honestly. Uh, while adults try to figure it out, we can at least give them those items, that dignity, that hope. Tell me, if you could, about some of the contents 
of the of the bags. Absolutely. Um, and that's the other thing too. I always say at least we can do is give them a pack of fresh new underwear. Like that's the least we can do for these children that have been through the worst life has to offer. Um, so the blue bags are for boys 12 and under. It's all about the size of the children. Girl bags are pink and um, for 12 and under. And then we have black bags because they thought the teenagers thought these were way too perky. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> but they're right. They're perky. I get it. They just want to blend in as teenagers. But anyway, it has a backpack, a pillow, a blanket, toiletries for that, you know, age appropriate kid. Um, underwear, pajamas, comfort items, water, snack, and sometimes probably the most important is a note of encouragement from another child to the child that so they don't feel so alone. You know, only children really know what that's like being a child in that environment. And so we have that all, you know, packed and ready for them and thought of. It is about hope. It's about dignity. It's about ways of stepping the gap for these children. You know, sometimes I'll get embarrassed or I'll get self-conscious about, about doing that or I need to eat before I interview and, and I let my temper show, all those things. But the reality is I need to stand up and stand for these children because if I don't, who will? And that's how I feel like with all people. And explain, so yeah. when, the, when does a kid get a bag exactly and how does that whole process Our ultimate unfold? goal is that first night so whenever they're rescued that the so there is a call and it's um, with DCFS and the law enforcement so law enforcement is our distributing partners and then also Department of Children and Family Services so they're in nine um, state trooper offices throughout the state to serve 64 parish and eight DCFS regional offices that serve 64 parishes. The bags are. The bags are itself. So we deliver them actually since 2020 to all these regional offices. Do you want to show me? Do you want to show me a little bit of sure. what's in them? Or? Sure. Yeah. It's just I didn't want I it to be so I, distracting. Yeah. But it's a so it, it's obviously like a Santa sack size, um, but it's all like it's in there, and then it has you know their size, and it has a pillow, a blanket backpack underwear toiletries notes of encouragement all all the things is that for the girl or the boy and then we also have the zipper that's our new our latest the zipper zips on top and then in the back but it's all the things that they would need for that first night to be able to get them through that night hold on do you want me to open sure okay. yeah or just maybe show me a couple of quick things just give me you know I don't do anything quick. <laughs> like pajamas. Yeah. Like we do like, you know, Rice Krispie treats just because they're gluten free and they don't have that with peanuts, you know, blankets. You know, pack some underwear. I have that with pillow. I don't want to hit that mic. And then pillowcase because, you know, you think about where you want your head to be. Little, here's a little note from another child to before. See? Do you want to read it? I'll let you read it. I usually start crying. So it says, the note says, it's okay to be sad, but just know that you are strong, loved, and brave. Exactly. Like, I, there's nothing more that I could say. And that's from, a you know, a child, written to a child. And here's, you know, toiletry kit. I guess an extra toothpaste because we do have teenagers pack this and water. So 
that's all what you know just to try to get them through that first night and pretty similar for females as well right mm -hmm. um for the most part for the most part okay it doesn't i didn't realize it doesn't have a backpack in it so i'll have to go back and fix that but you know it is packed by volunteers we have 1500 volunteers a year and we have several packing events throughout the year yeah so talk a little bit about that was kind of my next question oh, sorry, just Jeffrey. no 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 it's perfect just where are the contents for where are all the contents for your bags housed how are the bags packed or put together and how are you you talked a little bit about this but how exactly are they distributed um so they we are at the pleasure of the sheriff at the warehouse um, right over in front of amazon right next to um ccc and that's it's the re-entry um warehouse is what we're located in and that we have a partnership with Louisiana Commission on Law Enforcement for that and um, Sheriff Crater whenever I worked at KTBS 3 News you know joked with me about you know Kilpatrick I need to talk to you about your baggies everybody looks at me crazy in the press bowl and it was actually during the flooding and whenever he um he mentioned that to me and he said you know I need to talk to you about your baggies I'm like yes sir and he's like I think you're being cheap and I was like sir he was like, yeah, you don't need to put one pair of underwear. You need to suck it up and ask your latte drinking friends for a pack of underwear and give all these kids a pack of underwear. And so I popped and I heard someone next to me say, you're going to take that from him. And I thought it was Bubba from KSLA. And I said, I guess I have to because I'm like, like, have you talked back to the sheriff lately? You don't usually do that. But anyway, I was like, sir, okay. And then um, anyway, so afterwards, and I said to him, I was like, so, you know, can I start with you? And I said, you know, you're going to help me? And he's like, sure. He's like, I'll get some money for my campaign. Here's $200. And I said, well, you just bought 20 packs of underwear, sir. And then the person next to me said, well, we'll talk after. And I looked over and it was John Bell Edwards. So I didn't realize I was popping off. I was scared to pop off to the sheriff, but I popped off to John Bell Edwards standing right <laughs> next to me, who was the governor, <laughs> to be like, um, I guess I have to. But that's, you know, how that started kind of developing more statewide is just admitting the reality and, ha and talking where people ask me to come talk. And um, so it's, it's at the that's at the reentry, and that's where we pack in bulk, we buy in bulk. It's we, a big warehouse. It, it's a big warehouse. So it's 40 48,000 square feet. We are in 10,000 square feet of that. So we line that up with all the items. That's where everybody goes. We have give back, go pack. It's whenever people are invited from the community to come and help us uh, do inventory management. How often do you Help us that? pack a bag. Prob we do um, volunteer something once a month because okay. it takes a while. Because before we order anything, we want to make sure we have what, you know, what we need to make it match up. It's a bigger production than people realize is to make sure you have the right pack of underwear for the right, you know, pajamas for the right bag for the right everything to make it all match up. But so we don't overspend in one category and underspend in another because we want the bag to be completed and sent in love and then processed through to the U-Hauls and then to the DCFS and then actually to the child that first night. So I'm a, it's a I'm big production. I'm yes. going to interrupt because this wasn't a planned question, but it should have been. Um, I know a lot of people who have interest in starting a nonprofit or who aspire to start a nonprofit. Um, talk a little bit about biggest challenges to starting a nonprofit and um, just any other words of wisdom you'd like to share for people who are thinking about embarking on that path and 
Um, just you've been in the trenches. You're you're one of the success stories mm-hmm. of someone who started a nonprofit and has really scaled it and grown it, and um, it's on very solid footing now. So I I think it'd be instructive and helpful for people out there who are considering, who are inspired by your story or passionate about something else and feel like there's a void. Um, Maybe just talk a little bit about that, the nonprofit journey. The first thing is don't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You're not gonna do it alone. You're not gonna be successful alone. You have to collaborate. And if someone's already out there doing it, please partner up with them. If there is a nonprofit that's already there, please assist them. It's been a lot easier whenever I was working at Salvation Army because it had international resources to be able to make a huge impact than starting this from the back of my car or at Providence House, whenever you know, you know other people had started that. I think I came in whenever it was 20 years. I think it's now 30, maybe. I forgot how long Providence House has been around right now. I think it was 1992. But anyway, it was something that's already established. If you can do a project with a nonprofit that's already established, I would highly recommend that. It's great um, advice. Because it's, there's so much work and a board and to get all your 501c3, and then you've got to have that with an accountant, and then... It's just a lot more work, especially I started this first as a project and then I realized I needed to create a nonprofit around it because I wanted to be able to control really what I was doing and I wanted to have children be able to volunteer and people liability wise weren't going to allow that. They wanted 16 and up and so that's where I, you know we parted ways with a, another nonprofit that kind of helped me start up and so that's what i would recommend is to partner with someone who already is doing something similar in the space that you can have your own take on it and do it as a project and then let that nonprofit help you with either that with the fundraising aspect or the board aspect or oversee that um i do so i started um and i have my master's in nonprofit administration and i love lsus and i love the program there i love dr norman dolch i started there with a certificate end up getting my bachelor's so this is through INR. yes INR. i'm on the board i know uh, that's why i was like INR, i'm going to tell so you this I gotta, I gotta i'm going to go INR. i'm going okay, i'm going to go i'm going to take take you back so i started with a certificate and it was when i was at red river employment services i was a missionary before then in london for a year with homeless women and then i worked um for brian bird at red river employment services and so i wanted i got a certificate and so i then i ended up getting my um, undergrad and then i ended up going to get my master's at non you know in my master's of human service um, administration with, with dr dolch and then after that um that's really what kind of gave me the ability to see what could happen, you know, is that education and then that support and then everyone else being, you know, friends with everyone in INR and knowing what they do and build that collaborative spirit to be like, what works, what doesn't, what's successful in the community, who should you have on your board? How do you diversify your board? So the classes and the friendships and relationships, I think that's very important for people to realize it doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen alone. There's people that have amazing skill sets and please let them lead you on that. Like what we were joked about, like with your mom, your mom is an amazing person. You joked with me about like, did you work with my mom? And I'm like, well, if you worked with your mom, you've worked for your mom because your mom is an amazing leader. And I mean, and take my, take your cues from the people who've come before you. You know, we can I, step on that, you know, from from that, from other people. And I love what you're saying. Like I never even thought about like, 
you know, maybe start as a project. As you're talking, I kind of think of it similar when I think of like a, a Key Mexico or some of these restaurants that just, you know, are started or drip, you know, some of these right. restaurants, you know, start as a food truck or Absolutely. start as just um, a pop-up and, you know, right. you know, learn, learn slowly and, 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 and go and, to festivals and know who that is and know who's going to support you. Get your name out there because it is all about credibility. You know, they need to know like who are, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? When are you doing it? How are you doing it? Show that you did it. You know, because whenever I started as a project, I hadn't didn't have a board yet. I didn't have a 501c3 yet. I knew that those things were important. I had that with international nonprofits that I worked with. And I took that kind of for granted. You know, like, oh, I mean, I could do. No, <laughs> that's a lot of work. Startups are hard. And to act like that's not. And then that's where I think people lose because they might be extremely passionate about the project, but it's a whole different thing to make it into a nonprofit. And just to be clear, um, I mean, you started with some of these other nonprofits that were in a similar space, but ultimately what you discovered was that there wasn't anyone doing exactly. Yes. So this was not a duplication of service. If if this is something you wanted to continue, you needed to start your own nonprofit that was different and unique from everything else that existed. Right, because there already was CASA. I didn't need to do what Casa was doing. Casa was doing a great job of that. There already was a gingerbread house. I didn't need to do that. I needed to focus on what was the gap in services, which is emergency, first night, um, children in crisis. And so that's why we've expanded for that for children in, that are in protective custody of foster care and also maybe trafficked or domestic violence. And that's why we just leave children in crisis because a lot of these children are in five or six different quote-unquote categories or labels and I don't want to limit who we serve that way or you know ask them to that degree you just want to help them especially in emergency situation and people will really come alongside of you knowing that you're doing something different that's serving that need and they'll even help you which is something that I don't think people realize how much nonprofits really do want us all to succeed because we're there because the need is there not because of ourselves or not because of, you know, ego vanity projects. You're like, the need is there and that's why we're there, you know. And I learned that too whenever I was at Providence House. I used to work a lot with Cassie behind the scenes who now starts the hub. And we would partner um, without them knowing because she knew that I had blankets and she had pillows. So we just were like, hey girl, I'll split it. And we'd split it to make sure that our people were covered versus hoarding resources. And I've learned because of those experiences to pray for resources. I don't ever pray for money. I mean, money is great. You can buy a lot of things with money. Um, obviously, Swepco does not, you know, good intentions. They need, you know, they need your money to pay the light bill. But there are other things like that with the sheriff and that with the warehouse. I don't have to pay for a warehouse because that's an empty space that can be used. So I've learned to pray for resources and just show show up and tell people what I need and let that be what it is. And if it, something works out now, then later, great. I'm going to pick your brain yeah. just on um, what you see in the community in a second. But before I do, I just want to ask you, is there anything else about Go, go for Kids or go, and, and Project Go Bags that you want to talk about that we haven't? discuss today um because i'm gonna zoom out a little bit from your immediate very demanding world just to kind (laughs) of yeah uh, i want to hear a little bit about what you see as you look around just more globally well one of the things that i would really like for people to stop saying foster children they're children in foster care 
You know, I really want to make sure we take the labels and the blame and the shame off the kids that they're just kids and they're in the situation and that situation can change and trauma is trauma and, um, and they need to have that freedom and ability to change and grow and develop into their own little people that way. You know, we were talking like Bob Griffin, whenever I worked at KTBS, we were talking about that. Like he reminded me, um, all the time he would give my kids gum and I did not want him to give them gum, but he said, I'm Bob Griffin. I'm going to give them gum. And, um, you know, he's like, I'm 62 years old. I'm like, okay, fine, Bob, do what you want to do. But he told me he gave him gum is because he got gum whenever he was in an orphanage and he was adopted from the Griffin family from Arkansas as an orphan at four. And he remembers that. He remembers they were nice and gave him gum and he got adopted. And so he wanted to always give my kids gum. And that's why he showed kindness. And that's why he did a lot of things that he did, especially in later life, um, to help other people. And I think that's really important is how interconnected we all are. And that, you know, kids, you can have hope and dignity and love and grow up to be able to be the most caring, kind person. But if you don't have those things, how are you going to translate that into relationships or into your life or your work? So that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves is when people label and judge that way whenever they're just kids. Uh, just as you're talking, uh, you, you've been on other podcasts and I listened to a couple <laughs> in preparation to, of in preparation for today and someone asked you, you know, how hard was it for the kids to transition from their home to your home or uh, something along those lines and your answer was great. Just, you know, talk a little bit about um, your two kids and just what that process was for them, you know, how hard it was to kind of get into their world or to, um, to, to connect. And well, so I had two different experiences with, um, foster care. So the first set of kids that I had, um, were two girls who I'm so blessed that their, um, biological mom was able to get them back and be able to have a wonderful life for them. And that she got a lot of the support that she needed and she made those changes and she's been doing amazing. And I'm one of her biggest cheerleaders and she knows it. And I love them. And I love that she still lets me have a relationship with those girls because those are still my girls. And I, she shared them with me, and she made those changes, and she was able to provide a different life. How she, long did you have those? I had those girls for um, for about 90 days. Okay. And I thought that I would never, you know, I mean, I didn't know how I was ever going to cope. And then a week later, I got, and I'll never forget. So when they left and they went back with their biological people, they just told me one of them had a lisp. And she just said, you know, tasty. That's what she called me because she could say Casey. She goes, we just natural babies. And I said, you're right. I know. I know you're right. And we're you're just not my babies. But they're still my babies in my heart. But um, yeah, that situation was very different because, you know, their, their mom needed help. And her mom got help and her mom did what she needed to do. And she was able to learn the things that she needed to learn and do and process in this world that she didn't have that kind of help as a child. She was actually in foster care with her biological mom who struggled with addiction. And so to break generational cur you know, curses has a lot of courage. And I just think that she is an amazing human that's done that. So that was a very different situation. Now, um, with Hallie Sol and Jaden, their biological mom did never got better. And that um, it's one of those things that she's just so altered that like it's, she's, she's dangerous, to be honest. And so I had to get a protective order, you know, even later on about that. So they were always terrified of, of her and terrified of those, the 
the people associated with that. So that was a whole different deal. And she asked me instantly to be, she said, you know, will I be her new mama in the middle of Target? And I said, sure, Peanut. And ever since then, she's, her nickname has always been Peanut. So every situation is different and everybody's story is different. But, um, you know, it's like what anybody would be to, you know, be in a really tough situation, you know, going to the unknown. You know, you don't know what it's going to be like. You know what this is going to happen. If you do these things, you get beat, or you do these things, you don't eat, or you do these things, you get neglected, or you do these things and they go missing, or whatever the situation. And then, you know, you don't know. So you're just walking on eggshells. Like if you've ever been to an in-law's house for the first time, you're nervous. It's not your, it's not your house. And everybody's culture is different. Everyone's family of what, you know, when you, can you eat in your room? Can you not in your room? Do you need to turn on the light? Do you, can you adjust the thermostat? I can't adjust the thermostat in my house, you know, because I, I mess it up. Like everybody's culture is different and everybody's family and everybody's home. So that's why we want them to get a bag of their own things that they can take care of. And then every kind of develop out what that relationship looks like. And then you can be present with those children to kind of be there what they need and what's going on for them. And, and it, it's, it's amazing, right? It's just human how quickly something foreign feels normal. Right. Right. And you, you get into a rhythm. You know, I got into a rhythm with those two girls. And they volunteer with me now at Go For Kids. And when they're ready to share their story with their mom, I'd love for to have them do that. But right now, they come volunteer with that mom, who I love, at Go For Kids. And just normal volunteers. And people have no idea who they are to me and who she is to be and what that story is and about how she pulled herself out and with God's grace and been able to, you know, change generational curses on that and be able to do, you know, for her, her girls. And now they're happy, healthy teenage girls, you know, making their own choices in their own life. And that, you know, everybody has the story and everybody has an origin and usually when you kind of get to know people and kind of unpack things, you realize why they are the way they are. Yep. Grace of God. Go I. Yep. Amazing. All right. So let's just kind of zoom out, like I said, a little bit. Uh, the next two questions are just more general. I'm just curious as someone who's done just extraordinary work and been in the trenches for so long. Just uh, I'm curious. My first question is just as you look around the Shreveport Bozier community or the Arclitex, what are some of the things that concern you the most just about who we are as a community or what you see? Um, I think not in a political stand, standpoint, but I think COVID and the disenfranchised of us all connecting and moving forward together as a community and that disconnection that happened, it's going to take a while to recover and to move the needle back forward. I think they were all trying to recover from being so fragmented from each other and to bring that community back. I think that, you know, we were kind of on a roll on some things and now we have to, it's just going to take a while to patch it back together and patch us all back together to move that forward. So that's something that's concerning is just um, kind of, you know, cranking that back up and to be able to have the events and have the connections and have the one-on-ones and have the conversations that need to have happen, have the meetings. You know, I think that's been kind of hard. It's just kind of, um, 
you know, when people are operating in their silos for whatever reason, if it's mandated and forced for, you know, our good or not, or whatever the situation is, that's, that's hard. I think that people respond and um, build through relationships. I think there's so many resources that happen through relationships. I think that's one of our best community assets is whenever we're able to use our relationships and work together and to be able to collaborate. And so that's why, you know, I'm really excited about Dr. You know, Heather Carpenter and um, IN, INR, is that? INR. INR. I know. I don't want to be like, I, I'm still, I'm so old school. I still say pack a sack. I still say, <laughs> you know, 7-Eleven. I mean, I still do all these things. So, I yes. shouldn't laugh because I'm dating myself. But... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm very much dating myself. Um, all that, you know, I, Anyway, Icebox, I still do that. It's been a lot of time with my grandparents, so it's really obvious in what I say and do. But um, anyway, with that, with, you know, human services and to be able to connect and, you know, relate. And, and I think community forums are so great. I think any of any, you know, community relations and connections, because once you actually know people from different sides of an issue or a struggle or the tracks or political or whatever, it really diffuses a lot of things where you just go, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. I never thought of it that way, or I didn't know that, or that's, you know, information I wasn't aware of. And then you kind of build community. I think that's one of the best assets that we have is that, you know, we, we've all seen in North Louisiana struggle of some kind, you know, I mean, we had that with weather, we have that the oil and gas industry, we have that with the casino industry, we have that with all of our industries. We have that, you know, with all the things we know what that's like. And so it kind of, it doesn't, um, we need each other. And that nobody operates alone. And nobody makes it alone. Totally agree. And then just, you know, the other side of that question, just, you know, I mean, you kind of talked about some of the things that you think are positive, but just, you know, what, what makes you hopeful? What makes you optimistic? Just as you look around at the Shreveport-Bossier community that, you know, things are better or things are moving in a, in a better direction. I think that we have so much shared history. You know, I was thinking about that, too, with people. You know, when you can, all the people that came before us and that did good work. And their work is still viable and, and, you know, like that, well, I was saying that with your mother and then I had someone else mentioned that with my, you know, my, my cousins, my grandfather's cousin with Virginia, you know, like that all her work is not in vain, you know, that we've all been able to learn and grow from their legacy and that we're part of that legacy in a different part. And then hopefully that we're able to teach our children how to come up and do that as well. You know, my, my mom, um, she, one of the things that she's very shy, she's got to mention now, but whenever she was active, she would always do meals on wheels and she would have me go in the car and she didn't want to go to the person's house, but she'd be willing to drive for the food. And so I would literally take the food to the person at the house and I realized, I was like, oh, this is just somebody's grandmother that needs to eat. This is not any different, different. This is not some scary person in this house. This person's very kind, needs to eat. And my mom could get a lot of her tasking done that way. I think when you bring children along with you into the community, that's one of the best things that you can do that they can realize it's not that different. You know, we're just people and the children are just people. And that, you know, we have a lot of the same likes and dislikes in our culture and our food and community and like what the Y does of being able to have a safe place for everybody to have activities, you know, is one of the best, you know, ways to bridge those gaps. 
Yeah. Well, I think what you're doing is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone should be aware of Casey's work and um, I'm just so proud of you and I, I can't believe what you've been, I can't wait to see what you do moving forward. Anything else you want to share? Talk. Those are all my questions, but <laughs> we have all the time in the world. Oh. So um, if there's anything else you want to mention no, or something. No, I'm just really grateful that the community has come alongside and supported me. You know, I just, I started this because I got mad. And so that's when you realize you're like, God will use some of your worst characteristics for good if he wants to, you know, that he does, you know, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the call. And that's what I think of all the time, because sometimes I'm so, I just realize how flawed I am and what I can't do and what I don't, you know, all these things where you're like, no, you just need to show up. You need to tell the truth and people will support you and people will, will help the way that they need to help and it'll work out how it's supposed to. So right now we've served over 15,000 children throughout the state because I got mad <laughs> and so that's the, also a little bit like whoo I gotta watch what I get mad about <laughs> gotta and that so many people will help and that's where too is like so if someone has something on their heart please work with other people find where how to help that you know the community needs you well I'm glad you, you got Jeffrey. mad <laughs> <laughs> thanks Thank for you, being Jeffrey. here of course Thank you.